Well, I just wanted to say that it is truly a humbling honor uh, to stand before you as the pastor of, of life's journey. Truly, truly humbling uh, and exciting and nerve-wracking. Uh, a lot of different emotions kind of going on at the same time here. Uh, and I want you to know that uh, my mission critical at the moment is just to sit in all of your living rooms. So uh, I will, over the next two or three months, uh, just try to work my way through everybody uh, at Life's Journey, uh, maybe even some of those uh, who aren't at Life's Journey anymore. And I just want to get to know your heart. I want to I know your heart for Huntsville, for Jesus, and for Life's Journey. So be patient with me. I'm going to work, work my, ra- my way around everybody. I, I really want to get to know everybody as, as quickly as I can. Uh, and so I, I'm one of those people that uh, I don't like being patient. Uh, I, I want to I take on hell with a super soaker right this second. And so um, just, y'all, need, y'all just help me, okay? Uh, just calm down a little bit. I'm really excited. And so uh, I want to meet in everybody's living room tonight. So, uh, but I know that's not possible, but uh, I will... Slowly but surely work my way around to everybody uh, so that you guys can get to know my heart and I can get to know yours. And uh, I think that's probably the best way forward, uh, at least for the next few months. So just bear with me there. Uh, Okay, let's turn to uh, Galatians. We're going to go through the book of Galatians together uh, over the next few months. And so let's just start right at the beginning. Galatians chapter 1, we'll look at one, verses 1 through 5. And again, you can go to lifesjourney.life, uh, uh, sorry, ljc.life, uh, and you can find the sermon notes there. You can follow along with the scriptures there, and I've, I put a couple of notes in there if you want to do that. Uh, or you can follow along on the screen, however you want to do it is totally okay. All right, so let's look at Galatians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of Of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these precious words. We pray that these words will fall on good ground tonight, that your your spirit will till the ground of our hearts so that they might take root in us. And that we might not leave here the same way that we came in, but we might be changed by you and by your incredible words to us this evening. We pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as your pastor, you will hear me say the word gospel a lot. A lot. And the reason is because the gospel is both the foundation of my ministry and my life as a Christian. Why? Because the gospel, in my opinion, 
is the one central, irreplaceable element of Christianity that everything else is built upon. Dr. William Lane Craig states, the New Testament is dominated by the gospel. If the New Testament is dominated by the gospel, then our church probably should be too. But what exactly is the gospel, right? <laughs> you guys okay back there? All right. So, but what exactly is the gospel, right? So that's a popular term in the church world, right? Uh, so if you're new to the church world, you may not know that. But if you're not new to the church world, you hear the word gospel a lot. But what, is ex what does it mean exactly? Like, how do we, how should we articulate it? What's the exact definition? I define it the way Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Let's turn there quickly, okay? It's, uh, it's at ljc.life, but if you've got your Bible out, you can also uh, just turn there. So it's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. A very famous and very important passage. Uh, but Paul really, really clearly articulates the gospel here. So let's check it out. All right, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So... For Paul, the gospel contains two simple elements. Number one, Jesus died for our sins and was buried. Right? It's verses three through four. Number two, Jesus was resurrected and appeared to many. That's verses four through eight. And that's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins and was buried. Jesus was resurrected and appeared to many. That's pretty simple, right? The gospel is, in essence, the person and work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not about us and what we should do. It's about Jesus and what he has done, right? Now, uh, theologians would say that the word gospel is an uh, accordion word. You guys familiar with what an accordion is? We got to get an accordion for the worship team. That would be incredible. So can you play the accordion? Tim looks like an accordion player. No? <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be fantastic. Okay. So the gospel uh, theologians do call it an accordion word, which means it can be stretched out and then it can be condensed 
and still retain its meaning. So uh, here's what they mean by that. So some people would say that the gospel is the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? It's the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Matthew, right? And so it's because they are the stories of Jesus and what he has done, they are the gospel. Well, that's kind of right. <laughs> it can be stretched out to mean that too, right? So, uh, and then it can be stretched way out even further. Some would go as far as to say the whole Bible is the gospel because the entire Old Testament is pointing us forward to Christ and his work, right? And then all of the New Testament is either uh, presenting or explaining Christ and his work. So you could kind of think as the whole of Scripture as the gospel. And you would be right, right? It's an accordion word, right? And then you could shrink it way down and you could just say, Jesus is the gospel. And you would be right, <laughs> right? So it's this accordion word that can kind of be stretched and, and condensed, right? And it kind of all, it retains its meaning the whole way, all right? But at the root of the gospel is what Paul lays out here in 1 Corinthians, right? It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what is his work? to die for our sins, according to the Scriptures, to be buried, to rise again, according to the Scriptures, in victory over sin, death, and hell, and then appear to many. Okay? So that's kind of the root that binds the accordion all together. I don't know, I'm mixed metaphors there, but uh, you guys are following me, I think. So, all right, so the root of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Christ on our behalf. Now, Paul did not invent the word gospel. Okay? Christians did not invent the word gospel. The word gospel is a translation of the Greek noun evangelion, which was actually a super common word in the first century. Super common. Okay? It simply meant good news. Not good advice, not good rules to follow. Good news. Okay? That's what it meant. Uh, And in Greek, the word uh, evangelos, it's where we get our word evangelist. Evangelos was a person who brought a message of military victory or of personal news that caused joy. Personal news that caused joy. So to be an evangelist in the first century meant to speak as a messenger of gladness, to proclaim good news. Jesus then took this word and applied it to his own message. Right? So we have the Old Testament, then we have 400 years of just dead silence. We hear nothing from God. And then the earliest gospel written is Mark, and the first words we hear from Jesus is what? Repent and believe the gospel. And what is the gospel? We just went through it, right? It's the person and work of Christ. Jesus is saying, I am the promised king come to die for you and rise again in victory. That's what the gospel is. Okay, so why do I want to start off my ministry here going through the book of Galatians? Blake asked me, uh, actually, a few days ago, he said, what in the world do you decide to preach on your first Sunday? And that is actually a super good question and something I really struggled with, uh, to be honest with you. But I landed on uh, the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, because it has meant so much to me personally. Uh, 
It has meant a ton to me personally. I just simply love the, the book of Galatians, uh, and I think it is the book of the gospel par excellence. This is my opinion, <laughs> but I think it's the book of the gospel par excellence. I, I, I think it does a, a better job, a clearer job anyway, of presenting the gospel than just about any other book, even Romans and Ephesians, right? They're great in some different ways, but I think as far as just clear-cut gospel, it's Galatians. That's for me. Uh, so that's why I chose to go through it. I just love it. It's only six chapters, but it's like a little gospel bomb. I mean, from the very beginning of this thing, Paul grips us with the gospel, and he never lets go. It's awesome, and I think you'll love it too. I hope so. Here's the real inter interesting thing about Galatians, though. Okay, so let's think about this together. It's 100% gospel, and yet it is written specifically to Christians. Right? We just read it. Right? So look at verse, uh, verse 2, Galatians 1, verse 2. To the churches in Galatia. It's 100% gospel, and it's written to Christians. And for that matter, so was 1 Corinthians, right? So we just read 1 Corinthians 15, right? And actually 15 is a, it gives a much longer exhortation of the gospel really in chapter 15 than what we just read. It goes through some of the incredible and wonderful implications of the gospel too in, in 1 Corinthians. It's really neat if you want to go and read that later. Uh, but look who Paul addresses the letter to. Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 2, and I quote, Paul says, it's to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord, our Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians has a whole bunch of gospel in it, and it's written to Christians everywhere. Now wait just a second. I thought the gospel was only for non-Christians. Isn't the gospel just what non-Christians use to get saved? Many wrongly assume that, and I did too for a long time. And that's why Galatians was so special to me. Because Galatians corrects that assumption by clarifying that the gospel is not only the way a non-Christian enters the kingdom, it's the way a Christian lives in the kingdom. We're saved by grace, and we live by grace. This is critical for us to understand. Martin Luther said, the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein... The knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we know this gospel well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Now, if you know anything about Luther, that's a very Luther kind of thing to say. <laughs> and that's what Galatians is all about. It's the gospel for Christians. So, let's examine Paul's introduction to the book together. The first five verses make up Paul's salutation, his greeting. Okay, this is his, Paul's greeting to the churches in Galatia, uh, and it introduces what he'll be talking about 
in the book, okay? Now, this is not at all a throwaway greeting. Paul is intentional about every word. So this isn't like your typical southern greeting, right? Like, hey, how y'all doing? Right? So like, I love when I'm in the grocery store and I get to the line and the gentleman or the lady says, hey, how you doing today? I love messing with them. And I love saying, oh, I'm not that good. And they say, oh, that's great. Almost every time. They say, oh, that's great. Why did they do that? Because they weren't listening. <laughs> it's, just a, it's kind of a, just a little throwaway greeting we do in the South just to be nice. Hey, how y'all doing? We don't really care how you're doing, but it's just what we do in the South. We're just trying to be nice, okay? So, hey, how y'all doing? But um, apparently how I'm doing doesn't really matter to you because you did not hear what I said <laughs> in response, okay? But that's not what Paul's doing, right? This greeting is legitimate. Paul cares greatly about the people in Galatia. He cares greatly about the readers who will go on to read this. So this is not a southern welcome. This is a very important welcome, and we need to examine it together. In this greeting, Paul reveals three things. The author, the audience, and the message. The author, the audience, and the message. Number one, he shows us the author. Paul did not invent the message he's giving to the Galatians. It did not come from his own brain or his own wisdom. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Too many pastors today preach their own practical advice, their own thoughts on life, and their own opinions. But not Paul. Paul says, the only words I give to you are the words given to me by Jesus himself. Jesus is the author of of Paul's message. But who is the message intended for? Paul hints at it in verse 2, which brings us to point number 2, the audience. Notice in verse 2, Paul is writing to all the churches in Galatia. Okay? All the churches. Usually, this is actually unusual, right? Because usually Paul's letters are written to address specific problems at specific locations, right? But here it's a little different. Paul's message is a lot more wide-ranging. Why? Why is that the case? Because any Christian can fall into this trap. The Christians in Galatia are in trouble. They have been suckered by false teachers into believing a false gospel. As Paul explicitly states in verse 6, which we'll get to next week. But this message then applies to anyone believing a false gospel. And it's very, very easy to do so. And so Paul is correcting false beliefs. Now, modern people will want to push back on this point. Our modern intellectual folks that live in Huntsville, Alabama will push, push back. And they'll say, now, wait a minute. Why is Paul correcting someone's beliefs? Isn't everyone entitled to their own beliefs? Shouldn't we just leave people alone in their own beliefs as, not, as long as they're not harming anyone? Well, that sounds cute in theory. 
But no one actually does this. Number one, the idea that we need to leave people alone to their own beliefs is itself a belief, right? I want to say to the skeptic who asked me that, well, um, do you believe that? See, what you're presenting as a skeptic is itself a belief. Therefore, you're guilty of the very thing you're railing against. Second of all, we correct people's beliefs all the time because we don't have a choice. We have to. Years ago, I had a close friend who was dealing majorly with depression. And he told me that he was thinking about killing himself. He believed he was a loser and that his life was worthless. So I spent hours with him doing what? Correcting his beliefs about himself. I had to help him believe that God had a purpose for him. I had to help him believe that his life is more valuable than he could ever imagine. Thankfully, he eventually changed his beliefs and spared his life. But that's just one example of many I could give to show you that beliefs are all important. They're all important. Why? Because our beliefs determine how we live. Our behavior is directly influenced by what we believe. So, if that's true, we must be sure we're holding on to true beliefs. We must be sure to rid ourselves of false beliefs. Okay, but what's the best way to do that? How do we rid ourselves of false beliefs? That brings me to my last point. Number three, the message. Paul's message. The best way to correct false beliefs is to become laser-focused on true beliefs. This is a genuine $100 bill, I think. I'm not an expert. But I think this is legit. And do you know how the actual experts on money at the Treasury and at the FBI and so forth do you know how they learn to spot a counterfeit $100 bill? It's not by pouring over all the potential counterfeits. Actually, what they have them do is study genuine, authentic $100 bills for hours and hours and hours until they've memorized every square centimeter. They know the feel of a genuine $100 bill. They know the smell of it. And after all those hours of study, they can spot a false one in a second. This is Paul's strategy. This is Paul's strategy. Paul is going to correct the false beliefs, the false gospels, that the Galatians are believing by hammering them 
with the true gospel. The true gospel. In fact, he explicitly gives it to them right here in his greeting. I told you this was the gospel from the very beginning and all the way through. Did you catch it? It's right here in the beginning. Here in his, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? It's right here. Look at verses 3 and 4. We have the crucifixion. Right? Look at it. What does it say? The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And in verse 1, we have the resurrection. Do you see it? Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So here we have the explicit gospel right here in Paul's greeting. But that's not all. We also have an implicit reference to the gospel in verse 3. Verse 3, look at it. Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the words grace and peace here are not throwaway words for Paul. He's not just trying to be nice. What Paul was saying here was absolutely new to the world at this time. Before the gospel was preached, this type of greeting had never been used. Never. But for Paul, the words grace and peace summarize what Jesus gives us in the gospel. Grace loosens the bondage of sin. And peace, peace soothes the conscience. Martin Luther says, the two demons that torment us are sin and the conscience. But Christ has overcome these two monsters and has crushed them underfoot in this world and the next. Grace grants the remission of sins, which in turn provides a peaceful conscience. But what is critical for us to understand is that this is not just important for the non-Christian, though it is, of course. They need to know that grace and peace are available to them through Christ. But it's also critical for the Christian. Every day it's critical. And this is Paul's urgent message to the churches in Galatia. He wants Christians to live lives of grace and and peace. But the only way we can do that is to be so crystal clear on the true gospel that we'll be able to spot a false gospel as soon as we see it. You see, just like the Galatians, you and I can be easily suckered by false gospels. Easily. I know I am daily, almost hourly, suckered by false gospels. You see, I'm not tricked by Satanism or witchcraft. I'm fooled by small, subtle changes, subtractions, or additions to the true gospel that the enemy whispers in my ear 
I start believing things like, I'm just a worthless sinner. I guess I'll always battle with all of this sin. Or, all I ever do is displease God. Or, because of my past, I'm destined to fail. Or, I must try harder to earn God's favor. Do you ever think things like that? These small, whispering, false beliefs can have huge consequences, causing us to live with doubt, guilt, anxiety, and stress. Paul makes it clear in Galatians that in the gospel, Christians have grace and peace. But we don't always believe that or live like it's true. We might believe that we were saved by grace, but that now, now we've got to work hard to keep and hold on to our acceptance. We believe our sins cause us to lose the favor of God and that the only way to regain it is to redouble our efforts. Wrong. Wrong. The gospel says, the true gospel says, that Jesus Christ is the sole provider of grace and peace to you. Irrespective of your sin, or your good works, or your church attendance, or your service to others, or what you put in the offering plate, you are loved and accepted unconditionally. And it's not through your work. It's through Jesus' work. Verse 4. Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And here we are, trying to be our own rescuers. Now, it's easy for us to miss the real power of verse 4. It's easy for us to miss it. Because we speak English here, I think most of us do. And in English, the word for, Christ gave himself for our sins. The word for can be vague in English. It could mean because of our sins, or it could mean on our behalf. Luckily, the Greek has two words that they can use. And the Greek word used here means on our behalf. What wondrous peace this should give you. Do you see what this is saying? This is saying that Jesus didn't just die in some general way because we're all sinners. No. 
No. Jesus died specifically for you. In your place. On your behalf. On your behalf. He died the death that you were supposed to die. He suffered the penalty you were supposed to suffer. And therefore, you are totally accepted because of Jesus, not because of your works. And Christ didn't rescue you just to then throw you back into this evil age and say, well, good luck living like a Christian and earning my favor and love. No. No, see, you were rescued. And you still are rescued. You still are. It is by grace that your sin is defeated, not by your efforts. It's through the blood of the Lamb. So, does this mean that all Christians should just lay around on the couch and do nothing since Jesus did it all? Heavens no. Ironically, it is in God's grace that we find the power for the good works Christ has called us to. When our hearts are melted by what Jesus did for us, we will work harder than ever before for him. But we will do so from grace, not for grace. Love will become the fuel for our good works. So, rather than stressing about what you have or have not accomplished for Christ, it's time to believe the gospel and rest in the grace and peace that comes from what he has accomplished for you. As one modern worship song states, I approach the throne of glory, nothing in my hands I bring, but the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious King. Let's pray together. Jesus, our good and gracious King, what can we even say to you, Lord? We tried to work and work and work. We've worked our fingers to the bone and it, it has accomplished nothing. But what a savior, what a savior you are that we can find all the accomplishment we need through faith in what you have accomplished. Help us tonight and as we leave here, rest in you. Rest in the grace and peace that your sacrifice has provided us. And when the enemy whispers in our ears and lies to us, these false gospels, Jesus, give us your spirit to bring us back to the true gospel, the true gospel of grace and peace. 
Lord, thank you for this wondrous gospel. This simple, wondrous gospel that you have bled and suffered and died on our behalf and that you rose again in victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. What a Savior. What a Savior we have. And what a blessing it is to serve you and to worship you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.